0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. It's been a couple of weeks since I've seen you. Has it? Yes. Have yeah. you missed me? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Not much, be honest. <laughs> a little bit. How then, are you, buddy? But good, but then you're going away. You're away for a month.
0: Yeah, I'm going away on Sunday for a bit of a crazy work stroke holiday, a whole month. Can't really? I hope you don't have a stroke. Don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll be good. Uh, so I'm going to London, Switzerland, Monaco, Dubai. Wow, you're taking uh, Wi-Fi with you, and, yeah, and the they're children. Meet, they're
1: meeting in Dubai, oh. so it's kind of a halfway. Nice, thing. nice. Yeah. Well, this is one of the last ones they are doing before, before you're going, and it's a bit of a different one today, I guess. It's kind of like a hybrid between business of injecting injector diaries. So we're joined by Melissa and Nicole from Juve. Yes, and. They've been around for a long time. I mean, I remember when I got started in the industry, when I, well, not when I first started in the industry, but when I joined Laser Clinics Australia back in 2009-ish, 2008, you guys were already around. So... Um, Interesting chat today. We're going to cover a lot of topics regarding your background, a little bit about your business. You've obviously been heavily involved in the CNA, which for anyone who's not in Australia is the Cosmetic Nurses Association, yeah. which is representing, as the name implies, cosmetic nurses here in Australia. So we're going to cover a whole raft of topics. And I'm looking forward to it because uh, these these chats are always interesting. You get to find out about people's backgrounds, their businesses, their journey, especially for a, a couple of pioneers that have been around it since the early days, although you guys still look very young.
0: So obviously uh, <laughs> doing something right. Yeah. Um, Melissa, why don't you introduce yourself first and tell us all about your background?
2: Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Melissa. I'm one of the directors of Juve and we have been around for a while. Um, Thank you for showing my age. I think it's going next year. So I'm quite proud of myself. I think we've been in business now for 14 years. So 2009 is when we started. Um, My background was never cosmetic. Um, medicine it was actually real estate and I worked for national companies and global companies in the past and my work history um, commenced in 1993 so 30 years ago a long time ago <laughs> um, but over the years I whatever skills I've learned in the past I was able to bring them to the cosmetic um, arena um, yeah and I'm my business partner and best friend is right by my side Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Schmitzinelli, and I'm a
3: registered nurse. My work background was I was 10 years working in Westmead ICU, so I had a really good understanding of the hospital space and scope of practice, and education is really, really important. Um, And so we sort of had that to um, bring into the cosmetic industry. So, um, yeah, that's how we got started with a medical and a business, because I guess that's where a nurse sort of, Our skill set doesn't lie in sales. Um, Our skill set lies, you know, injecting and medical and looking after patients. So we sort of, Melissa and I have this great um, relationship starting from the beginning. So she brought in that business side and I brought in the medical side. And it's been amazing to be able to see the journey of different nurses in this space.
1: Mm. So... How did you guys meet? Because it, it doesn't seem like your paths would, would probably cross in in different sort of sectors of, of the of the economy, one in business, one in in nursing. So I mean, was Melissa your patient? Nicole? Are we sort of? I and contra- Nicole <laughs> bought a house from Melissa. Oh, maybe yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, to, how did that happen? Maybe uh, no. Yeah, Mel. Go <laughs> so on. actually,
3: she wasn't my patient. I was a plus one at her wedding. Oh, so nice. our husbands were friends, and um, I was the plus one. I didn't know her. I went along to the wedding, and it was a really fun wedding. I I was like, you know, this is great, and then we end up meeting afterwards, and we just clicked from the beginning, and um, yeah, we spent long nights talking about business and about work,
2: and and that's how it formed. I think in um, 2005, we both became mums, and as all mums do, oh, let's find a job we can do where we can spend more time with the children let's start our own business. Well, that was crazy thought, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Never worked so hard in my life. So that's where the idea came up. We came up with the idea, let's start a business together. We started putting little um, thoughts together. We'd do a little business plan on all of our different ideas, and I would just pick them apart and go, no, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Then finally 2009 is where we came up with the idea of, Um, the cosmetic um, injectable space, and Nicole?
3: I actually had Botox, and um, I loved it. Um, It was a great experience. And then, yeah, I brought it to Melissa going, this is a great opportunity. Um, She obviously crunched the numbers because she's the number girl, and she said, this works. And um, that's how Juve was formed.
2: I think it was how Nicole felt about the treatment, what it did to her, the empowerment of having the treatment. That's what she sold me. Look, I've just had my wrinkle. And back then, there was just one area you treated, <laughs> yeah. never three. Okay. So she had just done her frown and she's like, this is amazing. I just loved it. And she did it in a local beauty clinic. Um, and she, she brought the idea to me. And at that stage, we only knew about Botox.
0: Yeah. If you could give us a flavor, particularly for international listeners of of how things ran at that time, sort of 2009, 2008, even when David got Mm. in the industry, because, you know, the big chains had literally only just started or maybe they weren't even there. So who was injecting? What were the rules? How did it all work? How much did it cost? I'm just curious to get a flavor for where you sort of started from.
3: Back um, in 2009, it was very, very different from today. We relied on referrals, window signage, patient satisfaction. Um, during the consultation, they would be asking, is, there cow- is this made from cow manure? Am I going to get cancer from this? <laughs> um, and it was frowned upon. Um, and there were some clinics would have a back door where the patient would come in. Um, I'll just take you a little bit for a nurse thinking about how she worked on a daily basis. It was we would take a suitcase we would take a big 5 to 6 kilo laptop with us we would take an actual camera because there was the iPhones weren't like they are today um and then we would go to a clinic with folders all the patients names printed out there would be a nurse and a doctor on site um we would have the nurse and doctor sitting there together it'd be me and a doctor for one client for the entire day <laughs> um and we were charging $17 a unit back then mm. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was very different to now. I used to travel two clinics a day and I would do up to 40 clinics in a month. I would travel from Penrith to MacArthur in one day. So it was pretty full on. Um, yeah, there there was no Kardashians back then. Um, (laughs) there There was no telehealth, there was no Instagram, no Facebook, no patients and really no reels. So, um, we really had to rely on referrals and really good consultations. And that's, yeah, that's a, the foundations of
2: how we, we survived back then. In Australia, we didn't have many brands as well. We were really only had two options. We had either the Galderma or Allergan option. It's QMed um, back then. QMed, that's right. <laughs> QMed, sorry, yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Um, So there wasn't many options for an injector, and really the doctors had the space. And two thousand nine was the introduction of the nurses going in and looking at their own clinics. If I could, um, so plastic surgeons were offering it, some GPs were offering it, and cosmetic um, physicians were offering it. And two thousand nine was really the introduction of this. MediSpa introduction for nurses to go into it. And then the LCA commenced, I think, in that year. And, you know, they had a previous model. Was it Havana? Havana. Yeah. And then
1: you had Australian yeah. Australian skin yeah. clinics as well, Australian. Yeah. So really.
2: there was a few models prior to that, but they were just slightly a few years ahead of that. So it was really early days. The patients weren't buying into the treatments. It was still seen only for the elite yeah. It was an elite service and you paid premium prices for it. There was no negotiation. You were really educating the patient. The patient didn't have any knowledge about the treatment, so they weren't Googling it and understood now patients are more informed than some nurses. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was a different landscape back then.
0: And if I can ask David, actually, because yeah. you, you entered the, the mm. industry basically at the same time, what yeah. was your – feel of, of, of how it all worked and and presumably you were employing nurses and doctors at the same time? Well, my
1: first sort of introduction to the industry was before LCA was at Cosmos. So I started Cosmos back in 2006, 2007, something like that. And so the chain clinics had sort of owned, I think they were even even a few years before we're discussing now. So again, as, as uh, Melissa and Nicole have alluded to, very exclusive, very high prices, very, narrow range of treatments when you look at the skill level then compared to now it's quite frightening what we did back then what we didn't know the whole concept of vascular occlusions didn't exist i don't know whether highlays <laughs> was used i don't think lays was used back then i don't think so yeah. and people had you know very uh well very sort of conservative views about mm-hmm. these treatments so there was a lot of secrecy a lot of cash in bags under under tables <laughs> Uh, wanting not you know wanting to come into places where they could get in discreetly and not be seen there was a whole story if my husband questions this this is what it's for i'm not here for that i'm here for a skin treatment or i'm here for laser hair removal there, it was it was completely different you know you had reps driving around with product in their boot it was you know being handed out like lolly it was just, <laughs> it was the wild west to be honest there was no rules there was no fear
0: <laughs> well, the, the reason why I ask, and, and maybe I'll uh, maybe come back to Missa first and then Nicole for the sort of the clinical side. But when I speak to people who were injecting in Australia back then, they often talk about the golden days, the golden age, where it seemed much simpler. Um, everyone got on, even, you know, you had Alligan only producing Botox, you had Galderma only producing basically one filler. It just seemed simpler, and everything worked. And I don't know. People talk yeah. about it being happier. Yeah,
1: we're, re- we're referencing Restolan product, by the way. Yes, yes, because Galderma is the company who owns it now. Cumed was the people were the people that were distributing it but in Australia. Australia. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're talking about Restolan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. But
0: um, what was your take on it from from then to now, Melissa? From a I guess a business was, angle.
2: Yeah, it was very exclusive. Um, the real estate was owned by the. Um, the clinic owners, so they had the dominance um, back then. So the, the clinic owners were the ones that had the patients coming in. They had the referrals coming in through there. It was a little bit. Um, it was fun times. I will say it was fun times because you you didn't know what you didn't know. <laughs> we didn't have highlights, as David said, and there was an ignorance to us. Um, we weren't as fearful about it. It was like very easy. To practice this kind of medicine, from a patient's point of view, those that went on the journey, they were very loyal. They were there, and the medical professional was um, the one that was respected in the room. Their knowledge was empowered onto imparted onto the patient, and they listened, and they they went with the recommendation of the practitioner that was consulting them, which was very different. Now I feel um, there's a lot of yeah. I don't like that answer.
1: Well, there's a a lot. I mean, maybe I can sort of continue on with the thread that you were going down. It was, we didn't have people with uh, doctor degrees from Google. We didn't have available treatments on every corner. We weren't having competitors in price wars. It wasn't being advertised so overtly. So there's been a, a huge sort of quantum leap in terms of how we provide these treatments, the way we communicate. Uh, the sale of them or the promotion of them to, to patients out there in, in in the industry or in the marketplace. And there's almost been, I think, a commoditization. And, and that's kind of where we are now, I think, that the obviously you still have a very small percentage of your exclusive high-end providers who charge a lot of money. They've got a very you know loyal uh, client base or patient base. But for the rest of the industry, it's it's very aggressive, it's very competitive. The patients are very informed. there's not a lot of loyalty because there's so much supply. And I kind of feel we're almost at a crossroads now again in the industry where things are starting to consolidate. And I've spoken about this many times on the podcast before, is it you know all industries move in a life cycle, mm. and we've had this amazing run of so much demand and people just jumping on and doing really well. You didn't even have to be that good at business. No offense to, to anyone listening to this. You didn't have to even be that good at business really, I think, to be successful in this space for a long period of time because the demand was just so high and the yeah. margins were so high. And so now, you know, things are starting to to sort of take a similar shape to other industries in terms of competitiveness and and what people and patients are demanding. What do you what do you guys think about that? Maybe in uh maybe Nicole, because we just got Melissa to ask the last one. What, what do you think about that? Am I totally off base or do you think that's kind of yeah, where I, things I were? I think you're
3: right. I think both sides, I think there's a lot of um, nurses and doctors in this space now as opposed to, you know, when we started. Um, I think there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies in this space now in Australia, um, which is is good. Um To see, but when we started, there was only I think four fillers you could choose from. Now there's I think over forty fillers you can choose from in Australia. So um, we had to sort of work with what we had. Um, So that's great that there's more. um, But yeah, it is very competitive, I think. But if you stay true to yourself, if you stay ethical, I think if you stay, um, you know, you you do best practice. I think if you give your patients the right treatment and the right results and you keep with your ethics, I think that's where it'll take you a long way. Um, I've got clients. My very first client is still my client today. So, um, yeah, so she was my very first client. We've talked about how nervous I was. (laughs) Um, She had no idea that she was my first client. Um, And, yeah, she's still my client today. So I think, you know, you've got to really – you've got to nurture your clients, um, and I think you will last a long time. There will be always competition in every industry. There's going to be competition. But, yeah, competition has come – in the last few years, I mean, we used to have employees as nurses um, and that's all changed. Now, Melissa was saying that the clinics used to own the real estate, so the power lied with the, the clinic owner. Now it's great. The nurses usually own the, the clinic um, and so she's the one with the skills. She should be the one that, you know, the clients are there for and she gets the majority of the income for. So it has changed a lot. But I think if you stay true to yourself, I think that's the that's how it's got to be.
0: Can I ask Nicole you were an intensive care nurse uh, working in a high-end teaching hospital for many years so why did you get in or how did you get into cosmetic injecting and, and why
3: um well I got into cosmetic injecting purely because I had Botox and I absolutely loved it I just I came out and nothing happened about eight days later I couldn't frown I was like I love this. I just loved it and I I fell in love with it. That's when I went to Melissa because we were always looking for a business but it just didn't come up with the right business. Um, And I just loved how it made me feel and I wanted to impart that into other women.
0: So your initial relationship was to sort of fund a clinic and provide the service for yourself as an injector? Uh, No, because we're women,
2: we're risk-averse Um, So having our own clinic meant real estate and uh, capital um, investment, and we weren't going to take that risk for us as women. I think we're more cautious, so we found a way that we could go into a clinic and – use the real estate but not be up for the capital. And we used a licensing model um, which worked for us and our mortgages and our husbands and <laughs> we able to sleep at night. Yeah.
0: Okay. So maybe explain, you know, how Juve evolved and, and I guess what you provide now.
2: Yeah, look, um, I think over – I think our business has evolved twice, and I think every seven years you really have to look at your business and say to yourself, are we meeting our clients and our um, needs? And for us, our clients are our nurses. So initially all our nurses were employees, um, and we used to license um, clinics and pay them a percentage for um, total sales, Um, and that has evolved to now a nurse starts her own business and she works for herself and she is um, an entrepreneur in her own right and we mentor her within her own business. So um, from taking an employee now to creating entrepreneurs and I think that's a really great journey that we like to see our nurses travel along so mm. we don't, no longer have employees inside the juve business.
0: Okay. Let's so, not forget the male nurses, by the way. Yeah. The male nurses. Yes, yeah,
2: there are. Of
1: course. So – Initially, you had people who were employed by your company who went out and provided these aesthetic treatments to different clinics around the, around. We're guessing the Sydney region mainly. That's where you guys are. Correct, and um,
2: we had a, yeah. we had a,
1: over one hundred and twenty. Wow,
2: that's um, a lot. Yeah.
1: And what were some but, of the challenges that you had with that? I mean, in one hundred and twenty employees. I mean, I've had I've had that before. Um, I have no hair now. Uh, so <laughs> how, how did how did you guys how did you guys sort of navigate that and and sort of what were the challenges? And then secondary to that, what was the impetus for you to sort of sit down and and work out you needed to recalibrate the business and and move it in a, you know, pivot in a slightly different direction?
2: So the 120 was 120 clinics. Right. Um, That's what we had. Um, We had about 40 employees at the time. So the biggest challenge was the appetite of the clinic owner who owned the real estate and how much of the piece of the pie they wanted to eat from and it just got bigger the bigger the sales got the more that they wanted um so we were almost like pushed out from the real estate side from the clinic owners and we, then we had to develop another business model that worked for our nurses because they wanted to just more of the profit mm. share and wasn't working
0: um did you encounter quite quickly that a clinic owner may think to themselves well hold on i need, I'll just get rid of the middleman and find my own nurse i don't need and
2: that's what they did
0: yeah right
1: okay. and that's
2: that's exactly what they did, so we've worked with um other than l c a almost everyone
1: yeah
2: we were um when when the appetite for the patient wasn't as large, that's where they came to juve because there was no investment for them like there was no investment for us in the real estate they bought the real estate we bought the skill and the nurse, so they were quite happy with that um scenario, and then what happened was then when they started seeing the dollars coming through then they developed their own nurses and juve nurses developed their own real estate
1: right and so what does that what what does that process look like the moment of realization where you've come to the conclusion that you need to move your business in a different direction to survive so what happens at that point and then how do you Come to the conclusion that this is now the new direction that you're going to take because this is something that can that can happen. We're in a, in in a world now where things move so quickly; things are developing almost daily. So, how did you sort of come to that sort of new business model in, in a time where it probably was quite stressful? Because I can see this probably happened. This trend probably started to occur in a relatively short period of time. So, sorry, Mel. Again, yeah. then maybe Nicole from from the nurse from the nurse uh, perspective.
2: Yeah, it happened very quickly. Actually, um, I think. Um, The sale of LCA was the moment where all the clinics realised, well, we could actually really grow our business in the injectable space um, and that catapulted everything to a head. Um, What you do to manage that is sit down and plan. So you need to sit down quickly and have a strategy, plan the strategy out and then implement the strategy. Um, One of the – we just got approached saying, you know, you're the most goal-orientated – people and i think that when you set goals then you just have to make a plan how you're going to reach that goal and make the little incremental moments count so it's breaking it down to little increments and then reaching those goals slowly and that's how we've done it
0: yeah just to explain to listeners who may be international as well who don't know Juve, they don't understand the australian um, way of doing things so you're not just like a recruitment company for nurses you actually provide training product prescribing services so it's an all-encompassing service i guess is that correct yes
3: yeah, so we do the telehealth we do the education for the nurses from beginning and then continually professionally develop, developing them as they go um we it's like a business in a box i guess so mm. we give them all the tools um to have a successful business we've got the network um we're like a family so we've got all the support they can ring us anytime when they have a question which is i guess one of the most the things nurses want the most is to know that they're supported, know that if there is a problem that they've got help right there to help them. Um, we've got a long history, as you said, so we've been doing this many, many, many years. We, there's not much we haven't seen in this industry. Um, and, yeah, so we're all about, you know, advancing cosmetic nurses, getting them through different levels and increasing their scope of practice, but but at foremost just making sure that they're protected and that they're safe. Um, that's our, you know, that's where our skill lies.
0: Okay and you don't have to give us sort of numbers but I'm just curious to know how the model works if a nurse wants to join you and but they're kind of running their own business in a clinic who pays for what and and what what share do you get how, how does that work
2: well, We're a service provider so we're providing a telehealth service mm-hmm. um so we we're, we we're that's that's how our model works right I providing the telehealth service and the there's no franchise fee in our model. Um, we've got a per usage um, billing process right. um for the telehealth um and the supplies of the um of the cosmetic space.
0: Okay, so just to through. for people who don't understand what we mean. So in Australia, most uh, registered nurses have to uh, I guess be supervised by a doctor or a nurse practitioner and they can do that through telehealth they don't need to be there in person it can be a, a video phone call mm. just yeah. in case you're wondering what we're talking about
1: yeah um, on the education side of things business is something that's become very apparent that many medical professionals are lacking in that area and rightly so they, they haven't studied it it's not something that you just sort of wake up with this huge knowledge base and experience uh, bank of, of sort of situations you can draw upon. So how are you sort of focusing on that and where do you think sort of the real knowledge gaps are and 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 sort of how do you think that educating, well, doctors and nurses are going to change the industry sort of moving into the future and where do you see it kind of going?
2: This is what excites us and this is what I think what we've got to do is establish regulatory bodies and that's what CNA is about and the government's already taking action there and more will come out of that just to enforce standards, codes of ethics. They've already written out. The guidelines for practitioners are already there, but just someone that just monitors it and ensures everyone and the information is readily available to all people practicing in this space. We've got to increase public awareness so that, the public is aware of where to. What makes a great injector? What makes great um, facility? When they're going into these practice, we've got to continue to educate um, our everyone coming into this space. One. Practices, education level might not be compatible to another. What we see is gaps in the education. Um, that's why we actually do an assessment on nurses who have been educated elsewhere. We do a full assessment and then understand their com- um, competency levels and where their gaps need to be filled with a development of a scope of um. A a development plan for their own education. Um, I think we encourage collaboration within the industry and cross practice and all of these great organizations out there, you know, Silks, LCA, Juve, anti aging, all of them, we could all learn from each other and what we do better. And that's what we're hoping the CNA can also bring. And um, we've opened the CNA and the board, to all organisations to join it um, so that we can come up with a collaboration there. I think um, uh, being transparent with reporting um, and more reporting to government bodies. At Jube, we've got a continuous improvement register, so all our complaints go through that, no matter how big, no matter how small. It's very similar to AMAT, which I cannot commend, um, Bronwyn and... Eleanor. Yep. More because their business model is fantastic. If you're not a part of the Juve family, where do you go for that support? Um, and that transparency and reporting and complaint handling and patient care is what is so important. Remember, at the end of the day, we're all there to look after the patients and are we doing a good job of it? Um and we all got the same kind of standards when it comes to patient care.
0: Does it? ton to unpack there yeah. and i wondered if we could delve into some of those topics in yeah. a bit more detail so firstly you guys are the co-founders of the cosmetic nurses association or the cna so again maybe just give a flavor for our listeners of of, of the evolution of that why did you feel that that was needed i guess and what is the function of it what what is it there for for, for nurses in australia
2: so
3: the Cosmetic Nurses Association came about actually in the midst of COVID. So the first COVID shutdown, um, Juve couldn't be the voice, obviously, and re- we only had, say, 200 nurses at the time, um, and it needed to be a national organisation, it need to be a non-for-profit um, to be a voice. So nurses at the time, if you remember, um, nurses were told they couldn't inject patients, they couldn't treat, um, and we were put in the same category as beauty therapists. Mm. Um, so... We spoke to a few people and um, Dr. Dennis McCurdy and Quan from anti-aging um, put in some put their hands in their pocket with Juve, um with Melissa and myself and we developed the CNA Um, and it's really to be a voice for cosmetic nurses. Over the years, we've seen so much like turmoil up and down, up and down with the government Um, and it was always sort of coming at nurses. At one point, we were not going to be able to do telehealth and we're going to have to have a doctor on site. So there's always something that we're coming across and we thought we've got to have something that's a voice for all nurses in Australia. So that's how the Cosmetic Nurse Association was founded. Um, Melissa reached out to every single one that's on our advisory board, asking them if they could if they all wanted to be an advisor to the cosmetic nurse association. So Jacinta King was president for quite a few years. She's from Artisian. We had Cheryl, we have Cheryl Nuke is now the current president. Um, she's an educator and has been in the industry for for 20 plus years. Um, Alex Pike who's well renowned. Um, Hannah Rivers from Fresh Clinics. Um, Mike Plague from Face Coach. Uh, we've got Jess Mags, who's an NP. So we've tried to get all different level types of nurses, but Mike Plague's an enrolled nurse. Um, Melissa's on Melissa's an L, she's a lawyer, so we've covered that sort of aspect. Sherry Lee, um Sherry from she's the GM of Silks, so she's one of the board members. Um Bernice from Shape Clinic, um, and Elise Kenner from the Cosmetic Club. So with all those brains together, we really formulated the start of the CNA. Um and yeah, we're here for nurses. We're here to protect nurses. So I played a big part in the enrolled nurse um, that was just has recently been a new submission being put out. They actually wanted to stop enrolled nurses from injecting altogether. So they were at first the first submission was they could only pass a syringe to a registered nurse. That's it, and no no RN needs an EN to pass them a syringe. Um, so their livelihood they would have been shut down overnight. Um, and so the C, because of the CNA, we were able to stop that. Um, And now they can still inject. We're still working with them. There was one release yesterday, a new release yesterday, um, and we're working with them on that. And they stopped them from doing all lasers, even though beauty therapists can do lasers. So they stopped enrolled nurses. Um, So now they are allowed to do lasers again. So it's really important that we have the CNA, and that's what we're about, just protecting our industry for
2: nurses. Yeah, so I can just add a couple of things on that. I think government just wants to protect patients. Yeah. That's their motivation and they need someone to go to to understand our space. So the best place to go to is not individuals but to an organisation that has their hand across how we all practise and the best vehicle for that would be the CNA Um, because it's a non-for-profit government takes it more serious. It's not an individual um, who's got their own financial interests at play. Um, and that's why it's done so well. But if we leave it for government to go to individuals to get consultation from, that's where we'll be laid down. And that's why the ENs got in so much trouble because it was an individual's perception on ENs. Mm. That's why the CNA is so important for all nurses to get behind. And whether you're a nurse practitioner, a registered nurse, a cosmetic nurse, we're seeing plastic surgeons get behind it. As cosmetic surgeons get behind it because nurses do have a right to get a voice in government. Yeah.
0: I mean, the reality is, uh, and I don't know if you've got better figures than we have, but we think at least 80% Mm. of injectors are nurses in Australia. Is that an approximate figure that you would agree with?
3: That's the same figure we've heard. We've heard it's around 70 to 80%.
0: Mm. Fine. So you've already alluded to it, but have you encountered any maybe examples of overt anti-nurse sentiment? from particular groups or just a feeling that, you know, people are trying to take away, you know, the rights of nurses to inject? Because, I mean, anecdotally, we sort of hear these rumours every now and then and something happens with regulation and nurses get very nervous. So I understand the background to to how and why you, you know, started the CNA. But do you feel like that those those days are gone now? Now you, now you have a body or do you, are you still fighting battles uh, against things I like think,
3: that? I think prior to the CNA, that was a big part. Like there was certain individuals that really um, didn't want nurses in this space. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think with the CNA forming, I think that has settled down. I think there's still individuals out there that want to try and manoeuvre the industry, um, but I think I, I think having the CNA has really um, stopped it. Or reduced yeah. it significantly.
0: Yeah. I mean, w- apart from, a, is that just pure financial motivation of these individuals? Like, I, I, I'm trying to understand, you know, because we keep on, I mean, the, the argument always used is patient safety, patient safety. And we all want that. Obviously, we don't want our patients to be unsafe. So I, I've never quite understood the argument because no one has really given a good example of, barring that lady, that tragic case of um, what happened here in Sydney that was actually treated by an international unregulated doctor. It wasn't even a nurse. So I've never found a good example of how these people have said nurses shouldn't be injecting.
2: The case isn't about that um, the safety of something happening wrong to someone. It's also patient satisfaction mm. and complaints coming through to the HCCC. And for your international um, listeners, that would be the governing body that complaints go to, yeah. that patients would um, formally complain. In Tasmania, they recently had um, a change over there and nurses came out and made a statement. That now that the government got involved and they changed what is required for a practice and they've made it into a day, day surgery kind of requirement, um, nurses feel more comfortable and confident now that they've got more restrictions on them, which was surprising. For some for, for some practices, there were policies and procedures in place. And if you don't have those policies and procedures in place, That's where things go awry. Patients don't feel that they've been heard, listened to. If you have a complaint and it's not escalated correctly and it's resolved, then the patient will go to the governing bodies, the HCCC, and make a formal complaint. Um, And then when the government's reviewing these things, they go, there's a problem within this space because we're getting an influx of complaints. Unfortunately for the enrolled nurses, there was an
3: enrolled nurse that – was getting a lot of complaints. She was deregistered but continued on working. Um, And I believe that's one of the reasons why they had to look at enrolled nurses and there was also, um, you know, an individual out there that wanted enrolled nurses to be looked at. So,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: unfortunately, that's how it came about. Um,
1: Slightly controversial question, potentially, um, but it comes from a good place. When you look at 80% of the cosmetic injections in Australia being undertaken by nurses just by the figures alone you would have to come to the conclusion that complications and complaints are going to be disproportionate in the nurse column and there are a lot of people that have entered into this industry in the last sort of 5 years uh, you know we've had the shackles taken off nurses in terms of being able to go out and open their own businesses and i do wonder what you, what what the cna's position is on how to actually even regulate your own Sort of colleagues within the space, because there are people out there that have maybe, perhaps, just scraped through nursing. They've done minimal hospital time. They've just done their mandatory <clears throat> time in hospital during their training, and so they come out. And you know, I'm sure there are some nurses out there that are highly skilled and they've gone through this pathway and they're really good at what they do. But if you just look at the, if you just look at it logically, if you haven't had that much experience, you haven't had much time. You know, bedside manner, communication with patients, identifying red flags. Being in an emergency situation, you know, dealing with highly stressful, stressful, uh, you know, clinic environments and so on. So how I, I kind of, I kind of think that if there is going to be a major complication, it's probably going to be a nurse. It's likely going to be someone that comes from down that from that pathway. What's the CNA? What's the CNA's position on this and how are you planning to combat this? Because unfortunately, when something bad happens, I mean, Jake just alluded to the case that wasn't even a nurse. It was an international doctor masquerading mas, you know, masquerading as a doctor and they weren't and they still managed to somehow pin the blame or put the spotlight on nurses. So what's your position on that and and, and sort of how's the CNA going to deal with that internally because you don't want all of the nurses being tarnished because one cowboy... Um, ruins it for everyone or potentially puts a spotlight on you so nicole do you want to sort of Um, address yeah
3: yeah um how the cna's basically and juve as well we would recommend nurses work in a hospital minimum of 12 months yeah so that's a standard um recommendation that we recommend you need to have that basic knowledge you need to have you know just Exactly all the points that you said, David, um, you need to have that foundations, that strong foundations. Um, so we always recommend a minimum of twelve months. And then, as far as clinical training then goes, we're all about you know working within your scope of practice, being you know having a good foundations training. So, from my days in ICU, it was all about how you were trained. The, you know, in the beginning, the foundations of any sort of training, whether it be ICU, whether it be a cosmetic nurse, that initial training is really important to get a good understanding of the anatomy, of patient assessment, of consultation, um, of the actual injecting and taking It's taking time to move through the different stages. So starting off, you know, with your anti-wrinkle and just doing a good sound training is really important fundamentally. Um and that's basically where we sit. So it all starts with, you know, making sure you've got hospital experience first um, and then a really good foundation training and obviously support. You need to always, even if you have your own business, you've got to follow the direction of the doctor. So making sure that you're always following, you, you're working within your scope and following the direction of the doctor is so important
0: hmm what's your i think uh, melissa said it earlier you have your own informal sorry your own formal training pathway within juve when you take on new nurses and yeah. then they get plugged into your clinic network so what does that training look like because you even use the word competency and we would love a framework where we could all agree whether you're a nurse doctor plastic surgeon dermatologist dentist, that, uh, dentist of course <laughs> that you are competent to go and you know treat the public so what what does your training look like and at what point do you release these people to say you are you know give them your holy blessing and say you're safe <laughs> as it were
3: yeah. well firstly um I have a certificate um, for in training and assessment and so does Melissa. Um, Not that Melissa does the training, but we both have that understanding of what that's about. So competency, passing exams and doing all those fundamental things. So that's, our training is um, over 80 hours. It's actually CPD recognised from the College of Nursing. So um, it's 40 hours at home before they even come on site. So they do 40 hours at home learning um, online. Then they come in and they do four days, um, I think it's 32 hours in total injecting. So um, they see upper face toxins, lips, cheeks, marionettes, and chins, and they do quite a few patients. So Mm -hmm. it's because obviously in our industry, it's not about the theory. The theory is a big component, but the practical to be able to confidently and competently go out and treat a pain
2: client, Um, that's got to be um, demonstrated unassisted. Yeah, Unassisted, can you identify the anatomy? Can you inject the dosage? Unassisted, can you, I mean, and I don't mean any disrespect, but when a nurse isn't even injected two patients and then she's out on her own, that's a difficult thing. And that's why we brought in, um, we have to assess a, pa- a nurse prior coming into our group yeah. just to ensure that her skill level's there because yeah. ultimately the responsibility when she uses that medication lies with the doctor. yeah. And if we're taking on that nurse and we're saying she's part of our family, she's part of our team, um, we've got to know that she meets those requirements. Mm. Now
0: hats off to um, you guys. I think that's great.
2: That's where CNA lies too. And all our advisory, I mean, Shirley Lee will be like, yes, you tell them.
3: And that's just our foundations training. So then with Juve, we said we put them on, each nurse is on their own professional development plan. So, Then every month we have opportunities where they can come in for further development, further training, further upskilling. But there's a progression. So we have a progression. Um, You can't come in after six months and only injecting, say, 50 clients, start learning temples. That's on, like, the two-year of doing, you know, numerous clients and, you know, being very confident in your – in basic sort of medical treatments before we progress them on. So – There is a progression in cosmetic medicine, and we want to always protect our nurses. So I know they might want to learn tear troughs, they might want to learn temples, but
2: we we, we need to take it, you know. Mm. And we've seen some people leave us for that. This is self-regulated, right? These are our own rules that we put on ourselves. (laughs) No one's regulating us to do them, but that's where risk, we're eliminating Mm. the risk there for ourselves. And for us, we've never had one legal case. we've
3: never had one deregistered nurse. and it's for those reasons you know they trust us to for us to guide them because of our experience, because of our history um we, we sort of know where they should be, yeah,
1: yeah a question not only for nurses but for doctors and you sort of mentioned the area temples and so that's an area that's not treated all that frequently there are, we've got these weird and wonderful areas that potentially could be quite dangerous and so I'm wondering like what's your position in terms of like ongoing assessment so if you've been trained on temples and then you don't do one for 12 months or two years and then you do it again I would say you're almost a beginner mm. you should be doing it supervised so how do you sort of think about how we might further improve the safety around those areas that don't often get treated and it might be a long time between going down that path and to make sure that you're still well you could still call it within your scope of practice.
3: So with this one it is it's hard because the scope of practice once you're deemed competent in an yeah. area and you've been trained in it, it's hard to then regulate how many times has that you know nurse done that um, and it's up to her scope of practice but what we always say, we've always got the door open for training so come back in and have training they, they they all our nurses know that they can reach out to us at any time and book in for training um and and we're all about training so yeah it's a hard one to mm. answer but i think you know we've got to always make sure our nurses know that if you feel if you don't feel competent don't do the area yeah. and just come and get further training
2: two things we do probably number one is we do have some things that are required annually to revisit. You know, um, we're doing vascular occlusion, and adverse events annually. We also have part of the continuous improvement register. I'm going to go back to that because I just love that whole process. It kind of catches problems before they become major problems. And um, that becomes if we have a complaint, we have something that is not optimal results, that person comes in for re education. So they get highlighted. Part of that register that we had a patient complain. They haven't had great results. Is this the second complaint regarding this? Let's get them back in and re educate them in that area.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's a great way of looking mm. at things. And I love your progression pathway. I mean, every every individual is different, mm. and and you can't have a you know a one way of doing things. So, are you taking the lead on that, Nicole? Because I know you're the director of nursing for Juve. So, are you sort of Ahead of that, or, or do you have a number of nurses looking after that process?
3: Um, we've got we've got quite a few trainers, but yeah, I head it because I've got the certificate for and training and assessment. That's sort of where I you know I focus on. But um, we've got all different trainers that will let you know. Let the nurses know yes, you've passed, you've been deemed competent. Now you can actually do that treatment. But we're always saying it's it is a nurse might have been working in the industry for four years, but she might only work one day a week. She's not gonna be at that. It's a guide, it's not a set in stone. So you know, we guide saying after two years you could you could start learning temples, but that's for a nurse that's you know seeing a, a regular, like maybe works two or three days a week, sees a lot of clients. So we sort of play it by nurse mm. and by their, some nurses they never want to learn temples and that's that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's up to the individual nurse. But you know, we some new nurses they will wanna learn these advanced skills. Mm. Um without the background knowledge,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure it won't happen, but I remember we had Jacinta on uh, when we yeah. had sort the of panel. a forum discussion, yeah. the panel, and one of my suggestions, which will never take off because it's just too much hard work, but when I was trained as a surgeon, every case I did, no matter how silly or how big, had to be on a logbook. It was very simple, patient name, date of birth, an identifying number to prove that they were real and I wasn't making it up, the operation, and then basically my boss had to say, yeah, that was good or that was crap and if if I wasn't achieving the level that was expected I couldn't pass the year or, or, or there would have to be some sort of um, you know remedial process yeah and so I'm not saying it will happen but let's say you identified oh you've only done one temple this year maybe we need to re- revisit that it would be more objective than subjective in terms of scrutinizing competency but it's in the too hard basket mm. I just don't think people you know we've all got busy days, busy, you know, 15 patients a day, whatever. It's just another level of complexity that I doubt people would have the appetite for, but Mm. it would be one solution. Yeah.
1: And I guess maybe that's where some of the responsibility needs to fall back on the patient. And I know this podcast is primarily uh, geared towards professionals in the space, but for any patients that are listening or if any nurses or doctors listening to this, who want to maybe take this piece of advice is to encourage your patients to ask questions if they are going to go and see other providers ask them, how many of these treatments have you done? Can I see some before and afters? How many do you do per year? How many complications have you had? I mean, it's also a responsibility on the patient, I think, to take this seriously, to not maybe go to the first provider that they see, to go armed... With some questions it's not all about just knowing oh how many meals should go on my lip or I, mm. I want this many units here that's great I mean if you want to educate yourself on that great but you know part of your due diligence process is taking some responsibility for your own health and asking these questions because yeah. any competent provider should be able to answer them confidently um, and make you feel safe in their hands and that they've got they're the person for the job what do you think Jake yeah, yeah and actually going back yeah. to
0: what Melissa said right at the start I think you said you've got quite a a um, a formal reporting pathway for you know complications and things and that's great um, i don't know how it works in practice but you know if injectors aren't obliged to 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 talk about um complications or issues or even just side effects that are unusual um then these people never get flagged mm. you know if you have an unusual complication rate and you keep on having problems you know internally you guys might recognize that and say hey there's a real problem here we need to do something about it but the issue is that if you're not part of Juve or or, or someone like that, you can just go under the radar. Mm. So that's the problem. But I, yeah. I love what you guys are doing. It sounds great.
1: Yeah. I mean what do, what do you think about the patient sort of, you know, being part of that process? I mean, what, I, mean I mean you're yeah, you do this every day. I mean yeah, you patients.
0: Look, I I think it's great that patients they they sh- not challenge their injector, but yeah, it's it's sensible questions to ask, mm. just like you'd ask a surgeon if they're gonna do your knee or yeah. whatever. But at the end of the day, um that injector can lie, can't they? they yeah they, there's no there's no check, there's no there's no um there's no way of regulating that. Yeah. But sure, if you're an ethical injector, you should probably put your hands up and say, actually, I don't do noses, sorry, you have to go and see someone else. That, yeah. I mean Noses is a good example. Many people don't do noses, but yeah. there are some gray areas where, yeah. you know, sometimes injectors feel like they have to for yeah. whatever reason. I don't know why, but yeah. they
1: do. Um, this wasn't a planned question, um, but vascular occlusions, ultrasound, that's something that's become quite popular. We've spoken about it ad nauseum almost on the podcast. We, you know, Jake and I are very pro anything that's going to make patients safer and, safer and make the life easier easier for injectors to actually see what they're doing and have, you know, the ability to deal with something quickly and appropriately. So the ultrasound to us seems like a great sort of step forward. Hopefully it's going to get better. What's your position on that, um, both from the CNA and and a Juve perspective and as a part of your education process?
3: Um, Yeah, definitely. I think once they have a formal training, because obviously nurses, it's not within their scope of practice, a cosmetic nurse to know how to use an ultrasound. Um, but definitely we've reached out to a, a company that does ultrasound and said, do you have a training that's available so that you could actually train our nurses in the use of this? But in the interim, um, until our nurses are trained in ultrasound competently, then we would refer them on to a doctor or, you know, someone that is trained in mm-hmm. this area if we did have a vascular perfusion that did need ultrasound. Yeah,
0: Fair enough. I wondered if you could give us a bit of a flavour of the background to your negotiations with ARPA and, and, and some of the regulatory bodies, because of course, you guys are at the, the, the sharp end of, you know, those discussions. And I'm just worried, I'm curious to know who the stakeholders are, who do you have to speak to? How many people are involved? And, you know, what goes on in the background before these new guidelines are, are published? And how long does it take as well?
2: Right now, there is one that is going on, and um, there's lots of stakeholders involved in it. I am not allowed to discuss it, okay. obviously. Uh, so, unfortunately, I can't discuss that. But um, there's several. They try and bring in all stakeholders that are across it. You'd be registered when we, when CNA came about. We registered ourselves with all the governing bodies. But you can imagine, um, New South Wales is the biggest um, employer in Australia. Did you know that? So, sometimes if you register something, you've got to make sure that you follow all the right pathways to get registered as a proper stakeholder because mm-hmm. one department might not be speaking to the other department.
3: Right. Um,
2: but look, uh, the processes can take anywhere from two years. Um, the one I'm working on right now is six months. And sometimes what you find, and this is Juve now speaking, we would find at the 11th hour they're actually in consultation. Sometimes we've missed the deadlines because it's not easy to access this information when they're going to consultation. And then when they publish, they just publish, they don't send you an email saying, now we've changed it. Everyone kind of hears through the grapevine, which I think could be improved.
0: So so is the way it works, so you as the CNA would, you know, meet someone, have a discussion, put forward your own um, nursing concerns or requirements or, or whatever it may be, and then they will privately speak to, I don't know, a Cosmetic Physicians Association and a Plastics Association. So you don't all get around the table together.
2: No, you all get around on the table together.
0: Oh, you do? Okay, I'd love to be on the fly yes. on the wall of that. Do, I mean, joking aside, you don't have to tell me specifics, but does it get heated? Are, are there some strong opinions no, or are you all very, pretty much on the same it, board?
2: it's very respectful everyone just gives their position that uh, for their interests who they represent yeah so they give their interest and the governing the government governing body um just takes all that information and behind closed doors they make their decisions okay so they're just listening to the interests of everyone and they make notes of it and they that doesn't mean you've you not convincing them
3: you're yeah. just
2: putting forward your your ideas and you represent and sometimes they will take ideas from external people that weren't within
3: that um within that meeting Mm. they'll take they'll take some of their information and then they'll run with that so yeah
0: okay fair enough and is there anything that you have felt hasn't been addressed or that you've had to compromise on that you're still not fully satisfied with with the current way things are you know for nurses
2: um sometimes I feel as though it's a small changes change, like the subdivision of the S4. I don't know why they subclassed it. Could, could you like, explain what know. an
0: S4 is and, and just what you mean by that?
2: It's a Schedule 4
3: medication, so that means, you know, the TGA are across it, it has to be prescribed by a doctor. Um, and so what they've done is they've subclassed um, cosmetic medicine medication like Botox, like, um, you know, dermal fillers, into a subcategory away from every other S4 medication. So our only concern for that is why did they do that? And because once they've subclassed it, what are they going to do in the future? Are they going to now make regulations or rules around just this subclass S4 medication, which is, you know, your anti-wrinkle and your dermal fillers as opposed to all the other medications? So, you know, an R, I don't know, maybe an EN cannot now administer these medications, but they can still administer these medications in Mm. a hospital. Um so that's just some things that they change can affect other things down the track. So that's why we've always sort of, you know, got to be on top of what they're changing and why are they changing it.
1: So is this something that you're potentially able to get reversed or to get it done in a separate no, way? Once, once,
3: the, once the law's made in it, it's it's very, very hard
2: to then change. That's it back. that's now in New South Wales and that happened two years ago. Well I'm actually
0: wondering, you know, because I don't know the detail to it, whether it's actually to help distinct, you know, for example, we call these things scripts and prescriptions, but really it's not a formal prescription. There's no pharmacist involved. There's no dispensing of a drug. It's not a prescription in the traditional sense that, you know, like when you go to your GP and you get your antibiotic prescription. It's like a treatment order, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's an authority to treat. Yeah. Yeah. And And so I wonder whether grouping them slightly away from, you know, your more traditional S4s is a way of, in the future, making that classification a bit different. I don't know. I'm just sort of guessing here. Thinking even the government too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) I I said that.
1: No, you guys didn't say that. I said that.
0: That's fine. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think about it logically, if if they are S4 drugs, where is the script? And why aren't we going to the pharmacy? It it is different. And yet we've always just used this word script. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Nicole? No one's ever fully explained that Um, to me.
3: We use medication order, so we don't use script um, yeah. in our terminology because it is a medication order. Um, I, I don't know why they've changed that. I don't think it's due to that. I, I, I don't. We don't know. It was just changed, and we're unsure of why they changed it.
1: Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we could we could circle back to just your your business relationship and the go and the way you guys work together. You come from different backgrounds. One's business, one's medical. You met at a wedding, and you've started this this business that's been going for fifteen years. You've got different strengths, different weaknesses. How do you? <clears throat> obviously, it's fairly obvious to divide the roles between medical and non medical. But obviously, you've got visions, sense you know certain things that you want, likes, dislikes. How do you sort of manage your your business partnership? And have there ever been situations where? you know, you've had some major disagreements and and sort of ethical uh, sort of divides on on certain things, or has it always been smooth sailing? Because, I mean, I've been involved in in many business partnerships, some good, some bad, some kind of, you know, 50-50. So, how how do you navigate that? So, Uh, yeah. Uh, Mel, sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Nicole and I own seven businesses together. Wow. Not just Juve. Um, ethically speaking, we never are not aligned. We're always aligned ethically. We both have Christian values, which, um, we hold very dear to us. Um, and I think that steers us in all our decision making. Um, so that's, we're very sound there. The only time we do have blues, um, and then more emotional blues, (laughs) they're women being too emotional. um that's the only time we've we're divided um financially in our financial goal setting we're very much aligned we're both very hungry um in achieving more setting new goals and um conquering them um in our work ethic and our treatment within our staff we we employ good people who work with us really well and they they know how valued they are we invest in the right people that help us get there we it's not just Melissa and Nicole. Um, you, two people couldn't be running seven businesses. We've got great people helping us to achieve um, our goals. And we've really aligned in our
3: um, work ethic, I guess. So that would be the, you know, the strongest thing is our work ethic. We're both the same. So if we had, I think in business, if you have someone that their work ethic, they, you know, they only want to work two days a week or and the other one wants to work five days a week, that would be that struggle. Um, but yeah, we've also got, children and all our kids are best friends too so
2: um she lives 700 meters away from me we can't get away
0: from each other (laughs) (laughs) um outside i guess the law have you ever sort of tried to meet up with the you know other bodies i guess more informally just to find a more common path um you know remove any adversity or misunderstandings And I've always proposed, I don't know what you think of this, of having an injector body rather than doctor, nurse, surgeon, like we're all injecting and we all have the common goal, just like we said, patient safety, good standards, good training, all the rest of it. So I understand that nurses have to be represented because they are their own profession in their own right with different needs, but we are also all injectors working in Mm. similar environments, so... Have you ever thought about maybe expanding this or doing something on the side?
2: <laughs> Expand this. <laughs> you need an eighth business. Um, I think
3: someone else can take that one on. <laughs> yeah. we, will, we will go in line with them. we like, we're, you so know. So support, we'll sort of support it. Jake? But it's a bit this, <laughs> I've got too Before many plates in the air. <laughs> <gasps>
0: but it, I mean, it seems it
1: seems like a sensible idea, right? Because yeah. you've got people from different medical backgrounds all doing the same job at the end of the day, and so it makes and- sense that they would unify under a, a banner based on a, a profession rather than a than a qualification. Mm.
3: A hundred percent. That CNA was founded. Like I said, in the beginning, it was actually Dr. Dennis McCurdy that put his hand in his pocket yeah. and actually put funding with us to, to support nurses because he's so pro nurses. I think he was the first one to have an independent nurse yeah, 20 uh, something years ago. So he, he, you know, cherishes nurses and he yeah. was, so we asked, like it did start that way, I guess he's now, you know, stepped aside from it because all the nurses are now, you know, um, it should be run
2: by nurses, but Yeah. There are other people that show support for nurses, lots of people. Uh, Dr. Stephen Liu is definitely pro-nurse. Professor Goodman, pro-nurse. And they're just pro-aesthetics, right? It's not pro-nurse. They just want us all to get better and all, all of us to do better. Um, and I think that idea is great, Jake, but Warner, can I do it? No.
0: Fair enough. Thought I'd dangle it for your we've done, business. We've done
2: the one non-for-profit and um, we've ticked that off the list. Now we'll move along.
0: To like a super body. Well, you're unemployed. What are
1: you <laughs> oh, doing? Oh, <God>, Come on.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, that that sounds very stressful. <laughs> very stressful. Yeah, but may, maybe this conversation will will sort of pique someone's interest and they'll they'll take this project. It's not on
2: as hard as you think. Yeah, it really wasn't that difficult. You need a little bit of capital to get it going. Yeah, you need the right motivation and the people that will put their hand up and go, I'm well, there. That's well, all. you're ticking
0: boxes. You've got the motivation, you've got the history, you've got skin in the game, you got money for your clinics. So, there you go. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, hey, this podcast, I mean we've got the reach. We've talked to a lot of a lot of ears all around the world in this space. So if anyone yeah. is genuinely interested in, in doing that. Maybe can- shoot Jake and him <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> if someone does generally want to do it and there's a way we can help by spreading the word, then yeah. sure, reach well, out. Well, we'll be behind it anyway. Yeah,
0: so why not? Who yes. knows? Well, maybe a slightly easier question or maybe it's harder. Where do you see the industry moving in the future? Do you th- I mean, do you think we just carry on, you know, as we are? Do you think there's going to be any major revolutions technologically wise or just how we do things like yeah, where do you see us going in the next five or ten years yeah, we'll chat, chat, go, ch- chat, jtp will start doing all the injections well yeah exactly <laughs> so that's from melissa first from a business perspective and maybe more clinical from nicole
2: um i think there will be some structural changes that could affect us all i think that it's required um That's what I, yeah, I think structurally things might change. Patients will still be coming in. I think um, these, everyone educating, that'll shrink. I think everyone running conferences, there are great conferences and everyone's educating out there. I think that that may shrink down. Um, I think there'll be some lead players that come out on top as being the educators out in the space how do I see the future? I think it's I think obviously the pharmaceutical companies is going to
3: be more and more products coming in. Um, so where we started there was only two toxins and there was only four different types of filler now there's 40 filler I think that will continue. I think there'll be a lot more toxins coming into the market. I think there'll be a lot more fillers coming into the market it'll be very competitive market space and obviously a lot more nurses and a lot more doctors coming into this space. Um, so yeah it's really important I think just to ensure that you're trained really well. I think it's important to look after your patients. Mm.
2: Um, yeah, that's where yeah. I see the industry going. The reason why I can't answer is because me and Nick are not on the same page with it. Where, right. where we see the future, I want to shrink it. That's personally where I want to do. I want to shrink my market. Yeah. I, I, are I you
0: essentially saying there's potentially too many clinics in in, in a in a sentence? And then what-
2: I've got a hearing impediment.
0: Oh, sorry, I was going to say, do, do you think that there are too many clinics currently? And the way we're going economically, uh, etc., there's just going to have to be a bit of a correction of the market with supply and demand, effectively.
2: That's that's what I'm saying. And I think this economy right now pushes us to, um, I don't want to say, the reason Juve really does think of itself as family if so a nurse joins us I don't want her to waste her money to make an investment and to open up a clinic and then it goes bankrupt yeah yeah um so yeah I'm definitely saying that
1: yeah well it's the law of the it's the law of the jungle I mean that's that's natural selection in in a business form I mean we've existed in great economic conditions and in, in industry that's just going nuts year on year so eventually that I mean that that can't last forever nothing stays the same and so I think this is a natural. Progression is that patients are becoming more demanding. Mm. They know what they want. Their expectations are higher, and I think that they'll be more discerning. And I think there will be, I think there will be a shrinkage of the market initially, and then maybe it'll rebuild as the quality improves because only the strongest will survive. And then from there, it will continue to grow. That's kind of where I think. So my
0: yeah. understanding is that you guys um, have a smaller um, nurse. Uh, database compared to some of your, I'm not going to call it competitors, but other services offer, offering similar things. And I think what you're saying is that you don't want to have thousands of nurses on your books because you don't think that's sustainable in the longer term. Is that sort of a, a fair conclusion?
3: Pretty much. So we do, basically, we don't want to be just be training, training, training new nurses that are not going to be successful. Yeah. So we sort of, yeah, we don't want to take their money for them not to be successful. So if they're not going to make it, um, we would rather, you know, not have them a juve nurse um, than have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nurses
2: that are not successful. Because the inquiry's there. The inquiry's there all the time. We've actually put more restrictions on how to to onboard nurses because they're coming in their droves. Yes. Um, You've got them at school now. Um, year 11, year 12, ringing up Juve head office. What electives am I going to take
3: mm. to get
2: into cosmetic medicine? And what's the quickest pathway <laughs> yeah. to get there? Can I do it through an EN? And it's not, no, our best practice would be to go become a registered nurse. You've got to go work in, but then other f- f- um, organizations are giving a different answer, you see.
3: Yeah.
2: And, um, one, uh, someone I know works at the university is doing
3: nursing and they said that. of their class wants to do cosmetic medicine. So 80% of the nurses doing the studying wanted to become cosmetic. They're doing registered nurse to become a cosmetic nurse. So, yeah. What what
0: do you think that says about our industry, that people aren't aspiring to just be a a medical nurse? They want
2: to... Yeah, you can go to Instagram and ask them that question because what are we as a society when everything is all about? Appearance and the reels and so forth. Yeah, health has become what I look like that is defined as health. Yeah. Um, so that that's an interesting question, right there. So is it are we putting the people in the right place? We could be that possibly could be where health is because you're feeling good about yourself and. I'm not sure how to answer that. Yeah, well,
1: bit- I, I think particularly for nurses, I mean, I, I think the amount of study they have to do, and then you know, what options they have available traditionally to them other than cosmetic, you know, where you can work in private hospitals, you might work where, you know, you might take that nursing degree and do something that's not exactly nursing, but you've got it there as a, as a sort of a structural backbone to, to your resume and your skill set. But I mean, going and doing cosmetic nursing is a much nicer lifestyle. You get paid more money. You're not doing night shifts. You're not changing bedpans and catheters and cleaning up vomit and all that kind of stuff, which is a lot of what goes on in nursing um, sort of day-to-day life. And I just think that people have now got an option. And so I think that if people, if if the governments and the public hospitals want nurses to stay in their system. They need to treat them better. They need to pay them more. I mean, that's just my opinion. I've made
0: the career U-turn and and I have a happier life and and I love what I do. But my worry is there's this brain drain where we won't have enough nurses and and maybe even doctors eventually in the system. You know, we've gone through COVID, people are very unmotivated, unhappy, not well paid, like you said. And I wonder if there comes a point where it actually becomes like a real issue. Yeah. Um, if, if you're saying 80% don't want to become a traditional nurse, then that is potentially quite worrying. Yeah. And I, th- I think I'm all right in saying, I don't know if it was just New South Wales or, or Australia-wide, that the government sort of, as a result of that, did say that, oh, we'll pay for your training now. Whereas traditionally, you know, it was more self-funded. Yeah. And I thought, okay, but what about the loophole at the end when they still go into cosmetic? Yeah. So the government will effectively... No, think- Right, sorry, carry on.
3: I think, I think that they they lock them into a five-year, you've got to then work in a government hospital for five years to sort of
2: pay back your...
0: Okay, well, that's I sensible. Think,
2: I think there's a little clause in there. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. David and J- uh, Jake, we do have our hands on that area as well because we actually do own a nursing agency. Wow, uh, okay. It's one of our businesses and never the two shall meet. So, Juve and our nursing agency, they do not cross over in any way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, nurses do want to leave. They're not. They don't want. They're not being appreciated. They're being abused physically yeah. abused when they go to work. The culture in hospital has become a little bit toxic. Yes, yeah, so You go into this medicine where it's happy and people are happy to see you and thank you and bring you flowers, and you're getting financially rewarded.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time for your favorite question. What's your exit strategy?
1: <laughs> well, you guys need eight exit strategies. I mean, what, I mean, when you guys have decided to, to call it a day and you want to go off and, you know, We're retire. still
3: young. Yeah, I didn't say course, you're old, but course. you might want a longer
1: retirement. <laughs> of course. But I mean, have you, <clears throat> have you thought about what life would look like when you've decided that you don't want to do this anymore?
3: No, no, we haven't thought about not doing this anymore. Like it's been our passion for the last 15 years. It's been our baby, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, Literally, it's been our baby. Yeah. So, so we're not we're not giving up our children.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, forever in a day. So, you'll do this, do this to your to your last breath. Well, at yeah, least I'm not gonna love, have. We
3: love we love seeing nurses just thrive. So, we love seeing them. The calls we get saying, "I've just bought my house," or "I've just bought a pool," like I've just put a pool in, or I've bought a brand new car.
2: They'll tag us. They'll do like. That is so rewarding. We just, yeah. No, I'll correct you, David. I'm not doing this forever. <laughs> I would actually get someone to look after it for yeah, me. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah. I would employ and then have it going. Um, Nicole's daughter wants to get into cosmetic medicine. Okay. She wants to be like her mama. Um. So I would just get people. Like how we've run the other six businesses. The only business we work for is Juve. The rest <laughs> were just directors.
1: Right. In. Okay.
2: Um, and we manage them um, like once a week or uh, yeah. across the way. Yeah. So that's well, it must- how we would run Juve.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I must say, I mean, it's been a very informative chat. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to have a discussion with us and telling us all about your different business ventures and particularly give us, giving us some insights into the CNA and some of the regulatory changes that are coming through. It's amazing. You guys have been around for such a long time, but you've managed to stay, whilst well-known, under the radar. Like You don't hear much about you guys um, other than if you're in the know in the industry. And so, I think that's actually quite a good thing. It's a compliment. <laughs> it's a compliment. Yeah. So, so you're obviously <laughs> doing something right. And thank thank you for your time.
0: Yeah. Thanks, guys. Really, Great to sort of get to know you properly, and I'm, I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing at Juve. It's great. So,
2: thank you. If you're,
0: if you're a nurse in Australia or maybe New South Wales, reach out and yeah, get in touch with the guys.
3: We're 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 across the whole eastern sea border.
0: Okay, okay, great, yeah. perfect. Well, thanks for your time, guys, and we shall speak soon. Thank, thank,
3: you. thank you. Thanks, David. So thank Take day. care.
0: Thank you. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside aesthetics
1: Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to wwwinsideaestheticscom forward slash Patreon for more information.